In case you need reminding, uh, the song you heard just a minute ago is from the uh, Christmas uh, concert that will be this coming Saturday, the 8th, and on Sunday the 9th, both days at 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock. Now, I know uh, you have a bunch of stuff to do at Christmas, and I know uh, in Nashville there are Christmas concerts every minute on the minute. So why in the world should you make this a priority? Why should you come here rather than go somewhere else? Let me tell you. Uh, one of the things that we have discovered over the years is there is a difference between a musician and a worship leader. They're not the same thing. A musician creates energy, it goes to you and comes back to the musician. A worship leader comes from the presence bringing that energy that flows to you back past the musician into the presence. A worship leader will create a vertical vortex that will pull you in to the presence of the living God. Amen. To the point that you will forget about the worship leader and only recognize your experience. Brentwood Baptist Church has worship leaders. They're very good musicians, but they're worship leaders. And you should come for that moment that you will be pulled into that vertical vortex. And in doing so, change your experience and change your understanding of Christmas, or at least deepen it. So that's Saturday at 3 and 6, and Sunday at 3 and 6. And it's a great opportunity uh, to invite your friends, and we're glad you're here. There was a time, believe it or not, when Sweden was a world military power. Okay, it was right after the War of the Roses. Okay, it was 1600s. Uh, but the king of Sweden had made a major power play on the world stage and wanted to insert himself in the conversation of what the world would look like after the War of the Roses. So he commissioned the building of a great battleship, kind of like Air Force One. This battleship would be the thing that he sailed in the harbor and everybody would know, ooh, here's the king of Sweden, and he is a bad dude. It had more cannon on it than any ship of its day. It had more weaponry than any ship of its day. And the king was insistent that this ship, the Vasa, be ready for a particular date. The engineers and, and, and the builders had their doubts, but the king was insistent. And so the big day came. They announced this mighty warship. It sailed about a thousand feet into the harbor and turned over. Killed up. They found the ship in the 1960s and brought it up. Did the studies and found out that the ship was massively top heavy. That they did not have enough weight in the bottom of the ship to compensate for all the weight of the cannon and everything else. And so even in the calmest of seas and the gentlest of winds, the ship turned over 
it didn't have enough weight to hold it in the water. Now, I've told you before, we live in one of three places. Either you're in the storm, just out of the storm, or you're about to be in it. One of three places. Jesus never promises us that the storms won't come. He promises that he'll walk us through them. He promises you'll get through it if you have enough weight in your boat to hold you in the water. So the writer of Hebrews reminds us, stand with me in now of honor of God's word, as we read the opening sentences of this great sermon. Long ago, God spoke. He spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, so that he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. Long ago, God spoke. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. As you have spoken through the prophets and ultimately and supremely through your son, Jesus Christ, may we hear your message of hope and glory that will hold our little boats in the storm. And we pray this in your name. Amen. In most of your Bibles, Hebrews is introduced to you as the epistle of Hebrews, the epistle to the Hebrews. Well, it doesn't take you long to realize this isn't a letter at all, not the way we would consider it a letter. It doesn't have an introduction. It doesn't say, dear so-and-so, or to the saints, uh, the way Paul's letters do, uh, does. It doesn't have a concluding postscript, like, uh, I'm glad to have had the chance to write this letter. None of that. Uh, it is a sermon. And if you're a preacher, and this is the way you make your living, you read this, and it is just utterly defeating <laughs> that whoever preached this sermon could preach that kind of sermon 12 chapters and quote that much scripture and good gracious if they did it from memory how in the world did they pull that off one of the most humiliating verses in all of the bible is in the book of hebrews it's the place where he says i wish i could take you deeper i wish i could feed you meat but you're not ready for that, so I'll have to bring milk. This is some of the thickest Christology we have in all the scripture. This is some of, you could literally spend the rest of your life 
breaking down the book of Hebrews and his understanding of who Christ is. And he says, I really wish I could get you the good stuff. But you're not ready. I want to find this guy and say, what in the world did you know that you couldn't bother to tell us or you didn't have a way to tell us or, or, or you were too frustrated because we couldn't hear what you wanted us to hear about who Jesus is. We don't know who wrote the book. Early people have ascribed it to Paul, but if you're familiar with Paul's letters like Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Thessalonians, uh, you realize this doesn't sound like Paul at all. Some people say it was Barnabas who wrote it. Uh, others have ascribed to other people. Barnabas was one of the early ones that the, the early church leader said wrote this letter. We don't know. We do know that it was written to a group of people much in the same situations that we find ourselves now. It's one of the last things in the New Testament to be written probably somewhere in the AD 90s. And he's now dealing with people who are living a secondhand faith. Okay, you, you know what I'm talking about? The original disciples were now dying off. Few of them, if any, were still alive. Most of them who were Christians had heard the faith, had heard the message through someone else. Now, the danger in hearing the message from someone else is you'll take their word for it you will believe their story of Jesus, but Jesus' story will never become your story. Your parents had an encounter with Christ. They told you about that encounter. You believe your parents. But it never gets to the point where you believe Jesus. Okay? That's what happened. These folks were now living a second-hand faith. And because they were living a second-hand faith, they were beginning to make little compromises with who Jesus is and who he was. For instance, you saw how quickly he's having to make the case that Jesus is greater than the angels. Why? Because there was a whole angelology being developed. And you can find writings where people had drawn spheres, and here's earth, and here's the first level, here's the second level, here's the third level, and all of these spheres, all of these different levels, had different angels in, touch, in, in, in charge of them. And if you were smart and you, were, and you really knew how the game worked, then you would know what angel to contact for what thing you were going through. but you would never contact Jesus. So the writer of Hebrews says, why are you wasting your time with folks who cannot help you? We have a high priest, go talk with him. We live in a culture where people will say, Jesus is a great moral teacher. He's one of the smartest men who's ever lived. And they will listen to Jesus where his teachings make them more comfortable. But they will not listen to Jesus when his teachings make them uncomfortable. Or he demands obedience. And so Jesus becomes one of the pantheon of teachers that our world listens to. 
And we're told that Jesus is just the same. And the writer of Hebrews says, no, he's not. Uh, the world will tell you uh, what we need to do more is meditate. And that's the same thing as prayer. No, it's not. And if for you, meditation and prayer are the same thing, you're doing prayer wrong. What's the goal of meditation? Nothing. Am I wrong? Nothing. Empty yourself out, empty your thoughts, empty your heart, empty your desires, empty yourself out. That's the goal of meditation. What's the goal of prayer? Fullness. Fill your hearts with his presence. Fill your mind with his teachings. Fill your life with his grace. Fullness. They're not the same. They're not the same at all. And the problem is in our world, they will give you theology light. They will give you life philosophy light, worldview, and they'll lie to you all the time. Uh, they'll tell you stupid stuff like, you can be anything you want to be. No, you can't. <laughs> Let Uncle Mike help you here. No, you can't. Right? And I've told you the story. Right? Everybody says, you can be like Mike, Michael Jordan. If you buy a $250 pair of tennis shoes, no, you can't. You're just a fat, slow white guy in really expensive shoes. <laughs> you can be everything God created you to be. That's the good news. Amen. You can't be anything you want to be. We're lying to you. And then the storm hits. And it always does. And you don't have enough weight in your boat and you flip over. I can't tell you how frustrated I have been this week trying to find out, trying to find a way to help you understand what Hebrews is trying to tell us. And, and, and on one hand, I'm, I'm reading in the paper where the life expectancy of citizens of the United States is going down. Did you see that in the paper? We're living, we're living shorter lives, less full lives. You know why? Suicides. Addiction, opiates. We have thousands of people who cannot find the hope for another day. The storm hit and their little boat turned over because they didn't have enough weight to hold them in the water. I've told you before, let me tell you again. A second definition for glory is weight. We always, most of the time, interpret glory as light, the, the brilliance of God's glory. Another definition is weight. With weight, there is mass. With mass, there is gravity. 
And Jesus is the only person with the glory, the weight, the mass to be put in the center of your life so that his gravity will hold your life in its orbit. If Jesus is not in the center of your life, if anything else is in the center of your life, your life will spin out of control because there's not anything strong enough to hold the, your, your life in its proper orbits. So what Hebrews is telling us is without the glory of Christ in your life, you don't have enough weight in your boat to stay right side up. Okay, now, how does that work? Right, gosh, man, that's great. I want to cross stitch it and put it on my refrigerator door, Mike. Wonderful. But how does that work in real life? Hebrews tells us we have a high priest who was tempted just like we are in every way. So, in that moment, when you are tempted to mess up, okay, in that moment, when you know. This decision is about to be the stupidest decision you've ever done. But you want to do it anyway. It consumes your thoughts. It, it runs your desires. This is all you want to do. You know it's not going to end well. But it's still what you want. So, what do you go and do? You go tell a friend, right? And your friend says, I know how you feel. Great. Now I got two people who feel bad. <laughs> Sympathy is overrated. I want a high priest who has been tempted just like I am being tempted in every way, but was without sin. Knows the way out. Okay? Now, you're thinking that if I go tell Jesus I'm dealing with this, he's going to chew me out, right? I'm going to go and say, Jesus, here's what I'm dealing with. And he's going to say, again, I thought we had dealt with this. I thought you knew. I thought, uh-uh, that's not what happens. That's not been my experience. When I go to Jesus and say, I know me, I'm about to mess up. I don't know what to do. Jesus begins to fill my life with his life. He asks me things like, why did you let that get your attention? Can't you see what I'm doing in your life? Can't you see what I'm holding for you? Can't you see what I value for you? And he begins to fill me with his life to the point that I no longer desire. The temptation goes away because I don't want that anymore. Jesus will fix your wanter. I go to this high priest, tempted in every way, but who knows the way through it. The promise is not that your days will be easy or that you'll never have a hard moment, that life won't go bad. That's not the promise. 
several years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. I couldn't believe it. Why would Jesus let this happen to me? I'm such a good guy. So honestly, and I, I, I know you, you want more of me. You want, you know, it's just, just the Lord's will. I went, well, I folded like a cheap lawn furniture. I did. I just. Why did this happen? This isn't fair. This wasn't supposed to happen. The answer I get, I never promised you it wouldn't happen. I never promised that your life would never be without a storm. I never promised you a happy ending. What I promised you is that I would walk with you through it. And what you and I had on the other side of it will be so valuable, so important, so life-changing that you will thank me for the cancer. Wouldn't trade it for what I now know. That's the promise. Not that the storm won't come, but you'll have enough weight in your boat to stay upright. I don't know how to get that across to you. You know, one of the bad things about writing on a computer is you can't re rip the paper out and scramble it up and throw it in the garbage can. <laughs> you know, there's something really satisfying about reading something, oh, that's terrible, and throw it in the garbage can. Sitting in there and going, delete, 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 delete. Just not, <laughs> just not as important, no. But if you had seen my office this week, my study, it would have been littered with crumpled up pieces of legal pad trying to find the words to tell you. The storms come. And what the world offers you isn't heavy enough to keep you in the water. Only Jesus does that. There's nobody like him. He provides the glory in your life, the weight in your boat. So when the storm comes, you stay upright. You stay in the water. Storm's coming. You know that. Question now in front of you. Do you have the weight in your boat to stay in the water? Let's pray together. I know your head's bowed and I know your eyes are closed and I don't want to do anything in this moment to manipulate you or to make you feel uncomfortable. I don't like doing that. I, I, Sometimes it just hurts. 
to know what some of you are going through. And knowing there's not enough weight in your boat. I wish protocol would allow me to walk up to some of you and say, storm's coming. There's not enough weight in your boat. But you know who you are. Our friends are already at the table that says next steps. Don't wait, go ahead and go now. Don't leave this place with your boat too light to take the storm. There's nobody else like Jesus. Let us tell you more about him. Some of you are thinking that what you have done is the worst thing in the world that's ever been done. It's not. But even if it was, the cross of Jesus is more than paid for it. Don't walk out of here paying for a debt you don't owe. He made purification for our sins and he sat down. There's nothing more that needs to be done. For others of you, there's work ahead of you. You know the calling. You know what the Lord is asking of you. And the first step is to become part of this church family and get engaged in our mission and ministry. Don't leave this place without being obedient. However the Lord has come to you now, he's waiting for you where you are. The church will wait for you as you come. Lord Jesus, every life is now open before you, every heart. So we pray that... Decisions and choices we make now are exactly what you want. 